0: So let me go to the Lord in prayer and uh, then we'll look at Leviticus 11. Father, thank you for this evening and this opportunity. God, you are gracious and kind to us. And Father, your kindness as your scripture says, is what leads us to repentance. We see how good you are to us, how faithful you are, how kind you are, and it makes us, hopefully stirs within us a desire to follow you and to serve you, not to pursue after sin, not to pursue after self, but to pursue after holiness, pursue after you, And so, God, even as we look at the book of Leviticus and we think of what it means to pursue after holiness and live holy lives, Father, our prayer is tonight that that's exactly what you would do. Anytime we come to the word, Lord, the prayer is that you would make us better believers, better followers of you. And so, God, I pray that's what you do tonight as we consider this passage. Thank you for all you're doing in the life of our church. Stir within each and each and every one of us, a heart and a desire to proclaim your name to anybody and everybody. God, help us to see those people around us in our life who may be close to us, but far from you. Help us, God, to to see the opportunity and to take advantage of those opportunities to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. God, we praise you for your kindness. We thank you for your word And we come tonight as your people and we humble ourselves underneath your authority here in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Leviticus chapter 11, we just keep right on trucking along. And Leviticus chapter 11 tonight is what we're going to try to get through. Now I think there'll come a time hopefully next week or sometime where we'll take out some bigger chunks to try to get the principles of the matter. I won't, and and I'm just going to be honest with y'all, I love God's word, every jot and tittle, but I was looking tonight, how can I go from Leviticus 11 all the way to the end of this book and just end it tonight? Um, But that's not what we're going to do. There's still some good stuff left. Um, There's still some good stuff left, and Leviticus 11, I think, has some of that good stuff for us. Leviticus 11 is where we get the kosher laws of the scriptures. Now, kosher, for those of y'all in this room, is more than just pickles, okay? (laughs) it is These laws of what is right or good or holy or clean to eat versus unclean. And so Leviticus 11 is going to deal with this clean versus unclean when it comes to food or what you can eat. Now before we come to this and say, man, this is kind of weird, cuz there'll be some stuff in here that's kind of weird to us. I mean, the idea and if you if you look here, for example, in verse 7. I make jokes all the time about bacon. Now, first of all, me loving bacon is not a joke. That's real. So that's good. Allison can tell you. I make a pack for me and a pack for the rest of the family. And so me loving it is not a joke. That's real. And, and, and so when we look at this passage, like in Leviticus 11, verse 7, and the pig. You know, here's verse 7, and the pig. If you would have said that to me growing up, that's what we refer to as the grocery store, the piggly wiggly. You don't know what I'm talking about? Let's go to the pig. So, and the pig. Because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Now, we read that and go, what in the world? First of all, chewing the cud. Y'all know what chewing the cud is? Y'all think y'all do. Are y'all sure y'all know what chewing the cud is? So why is it that because the thing's got the right kind of hooves but doesn't chew the cud, we can't eat it? Why do these things happen? Now, let's step back and go ahead and, and work from some, uh, some, some knowledge here. Every culture, in fact, every culture and subculture has their own kind of diets. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So to act like, when we look at this passage, to act like these kind of restrictions in food are strange or weird, we all have our own kind of restrictions in food. There's just some things I'm gonna look at you and say, I'm not eating that, you know? There's some animals that you go, I'm not gonna do that. There's some things in our culture that we, I cannot fathom that there is a human being on the planet that cannot eat a solid bushel in one sitting of boiled peanuts. It's the way God intended them to be eaten. I can't imagine that, but there are people that think they're nasty. Off the bat, those people and I struggle in relationship. But my point is, there's every culture around that has food Kind of unspoken or spoken, has the way they ate, has the thing they eat. I had a friend in college who I went to his house, he was a Korean from Korea. I went to his house. His mom brought out something that, man, it made my insides just start churning off the bat. But I like to try everything. It was kimchi. She went out in the backyard because she puts this stuff underground with vinegar and some other stuff and lets cabbage ferment until it's almost fermented all up and then serves it to me like I want it. You see what I'm saying? Every culture, you travel, you go to different places, every culture has dietary rules, whether they're written or unwritten, that they deal with. And so ultimately, when the Lord here in Leviticus is saying, here's what it means for you to dwell with me, here's going to be how we dwell together, he's speaking to them even down to, not leaving them guessing, even when it comes to what they are to eat and what they are not to eat, right? All the way down. Here are our dietary restrictions and rules. In other words, as I've said, You can't read the scriptures and ever come to the place where God has left us guessing what He wants from us or or left us questioning what He desires. He's spoken clearly to us. And here with the Israelites, we have a new government that's been formed at Mount Sinai. Here are our laws, here are our rules. You have him explaining those out even with case study after that. Here's how do you handle this situation? That situation. He you have him establishing the sacrificial system so that their sins can be dealt with so they can show honor and thanksgiving to God through their sacrifices. You have him establishing that. You have him establishing the priesthood so those sins and sacrifices can be handled as one who stands in between them. He's establishing every aspect of the government by which the Israelites are to dwell with the holy God who is the living God who delivered them, Yahweh, right? So he's establishing all of these even down here to these dietary restrictions, rules, whatever it may be. Now, I'm going to go ahead and let y'all know that there's some of these things The answer for me is, I got no idea. I'm reading it and you're going, you put some of this stuff in culture and context for me some thousands of years later trying to understand what this is. And what's interesting is when you read commentaries on this passage, the commentaries I read, there's some out there that may think they're smart. But you read commentaries on these passages, many of them are speculating on some of these things. Why did he choose this over that? Why did he do this over that? We can talk about some of that, of of, of why we may think. But when we come down to it, I think what we want to get to, if I'm driving the car tonight on this passage and I don't know where we're going, I think where I like where we want to get to is the idea of God is establishing some principles for us That we live by as believers, not necessarily laws, but principles that we live by as believers so that we can display holiness in our own life, okay? That's what we're going to try to get to here. That's what we're going to try to get to here. Let's talk about some of these. If you break down chapter 11. You're talking about clean and unclean animals. Add in there of what you do with contact of dead animals. Remember, the God of the universe is the God of life and the living. And so ultimately, there's ways to handle even dead carcasses of animals and what you are to do with those. Chapter 11 is going to deal with those things. You find it broken down here, these distinctions between clean and unclean. This is not a new distinction, by the way. This distinction is back in Genesis chapter 7. If you you remember in Genesis chapter 7 when you have Noah having built the ark and he's told to put the animals on the ark or bring them in two by two, it says in verse 2 or verse 1, then the Lord said to Noah, "'Go into the ark and you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals.'" The male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. So here, that's the first time we see in the scriptures that there's a distinction between clean and not clean. We're not described or explained to us what that distinction is. We see it again mentioned in chapter 8, after the flood, clean and not clean. We're not described or told what those distinctions are, but we see that there are those distinctions, clean and not clean. And so ultimately it makes sense if you were if you were an Israelite and you're receiving the pentateuch the five books of the first five books of the Old Testament you recognize that Moses is writing these around this same time. Does everybody understand? He's he's there writing these around this same time of Sinai as he's spending time with the Lord and he's writing down through the inspiration of the spirit Genesis through these passages happening, even some in real time, then, as you get, is some sense where there's the possibility, maybe even that they're getting Genesis right along with Leviticus. You see what I'm saying? And so there's a sense in which, as I said, the the Scriptures interpret themselves. The best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. And so when you get Genesis 7-2, clean and unclean, what does that mean? You can flip over to Leviticus 11. Here's what clean and unclean means. It describes it for you. You don't have to look any further. You see clean and unclean mentioned over in Leviticus chapter 5. You see it mentioned in chapter 5 uh, already um, when he's talking about uh, the, the sacrifices and the offerings that are being made. If anyone sins that he hears a, in a public adjournment to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things and it is hidden from him and he has become unclean and realizes his guilt. And so here you see in here Leviticus 5, you're actually found guilty or considered guilty for touching or uh, or associating with an unclean carcass or anything such as. Well, then Leviticus 11 becomes all that more important. Because if you're found guilty for touching an unclean carcass, you need to know what's unclean and what's clean, right? So ultimately, it becomes all the more important in the the government of things of Israel. And so you have these things mentioned. Now you're going to have them clarified. And when they clarify them, it comes really dealing with the different categories or areas of creation. Verses 1 through 8, you have the land animals, what's clean, what's unclean. Verses 9 through 12, the water animals. Verses 13 through 19, the sky animals. Verses 20 through 23, flying insects. You can eat, if I remember correctly, I have to look again. You can eat an insect, right, that hops. Is that right? Am I I saying? You can eat an insect that hops, but one that crawls don't eat that one. You see what I'm saying? Y'all going, why? Why? And I'm saying, I don't know. But that's what it says, right? And so you can eat one that hops. You can't eat one that crawls or just simply. So that's how. So you have the insects. You have the 24, 25 carcasses of unclean. Then it goes again because the land animals are probably the most important ones to deal with for them. So it goes back again to land animals and the summation of it. What do you do next, 32 through 40, when you touch a dead, unclean carcass? 41, it goes back to land animals, and then 46 through 47, you have the summary of the whole thing. And so ultimately, we have to go with the question, why? I'm going to spit out a few things that people have offered. Why does the Lord choose this? First, he chooses it this way because of hygiene or health. These animals are the more healthy ones for you to eat. They're not the ones you shouldn't eat. These are the ones that are more healthy and hygiene-wise. Some of that goes back to the fact that he doesn't want you to eat birds, for example, that have talons. Why? Because they're eating things with blood in it. Remember how how that works? So you don't need to eat an eagle or if some of y'all have ever eaten a buzzard. (laughs) Please do not identify yourself but you don't want to eat those things because they eat carcasses, dead stuff. and That makes sense to us, right? They're they're eating these things with blood in it, so we don't want to eat those. Some of those distinctions, those are health distinctions for us. They're health distinctions or hygiene distinctions for us. Maybe, maybe some have said that's the reason why these distinctions are made. We may not know it all. But I think when you read through this, it's just proven that some of these things are actually are healthy for you that are unclean. So it doesn't work all the way down. The, the second one is idol worship. We don't want to eat anything that is idolatrous or used in other countries for idol worship. Remember, every country, every country has its own kind of animals that are off-limits or in idol worship, right? So Allison and I, if you know, as many of us have spent time in South Asia, in in the country of India, for example, the bull, the Brahmin bull is considered holy. And anywhere you go, that thing has free reign. Everywhere I've been, it's got free reign in many ways in the the villages and other places. And and it's considered holy. It's wrong to eat that for them, right? Well, what he's saying even here is we don't want to partake in anything that's in idol worship or a part of it in those cultures or places that they may bow down to or they may sacrifice for idol worship. You don't eat those. Those are unclean, unclean animals for you. I think that's rightly so, but I don't think that summarizes or goes with every single one of these on down the list, okay? Then next you see, you see maybe this is just an attitude of obedience. I've talked before how the Lord will do things that at the end of the day, you're like, why in the world did he do that? And I think he does it just so people would be obedient. Just so he saying, say, hey, here's how you're going to do it. And, and, I mean, let's, let's use, for example, Joshua chapter 5. We've, maybe we've talked about this before, but y'all remember Joshua 5? Joshua does not know what in the world he's going to do with this city, Jericho, The walls are too big. He's got a ragtag bunch that's just been through the wilderness for 40 years that he just crossed the Jordan with. And on top of that, all of the males, 40 and younger who had been in the wilderness had just been circumcised. They're not in any condition to go to war battle. And so Joshua's like, I don't know what to do, with Jericho. It stands here as the first one. What do we do with this? And remember the commander of the Lord's army appears to him and Joshua stands there and goes, all right, whose side are you on? And the commander of the Lord's army says, that's a dumb question. I didn't come to take sides. I came to take charge. The question is Joshua, whose side are you on? Right? Joshua bowed down and worship, and he followed. And then Joshua goes back and says, let me tell you what the Lord said. Let me tell you what, Lord. We'll get to Joshua in about 2026. So y'all will be okay till then. Let me tell you what the Lord said. And so ultimately, the Lord says, here's how you're going to go to battle. You're going to march around the city, right? Y'all know this story. One time a day, don't say a word for six days. On the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. Don't say a word. When you get to the last time you march around it, all of y'all scream." and I'll take care of it. They did exactly what he said. They marched around it each day quietly on the seventh day seven times. They screamed. The walls fell down. They went in. They took the place. Remember? In some sense, you want to go, what was the Lord doing there? I think ultimately what he was doing was saying, just be obedient to me. I'll take care of it. Just do what I've called you to do, and I'll take care of it. It's the same way when Gideon's choosing his people. Gideon, you got enough men. I don't think so. We only got 30,000. Well, I'll tell you what we do. We're going to knock them down a little bit. And finally, he chooses 300 that laps up their water like a dog. You see what I'm saying? And he says, now you're ready to go. Ultimately, it's that principle of God is going to show that he's the one who's doing it. And so here, this may be a part of it. Maybe it's simply obedience. Maybe it's simply saying, don't eat this, don't eat that. Ultimately, I think others have argued, for example, that what we see here is the lining up of this passage with the lining up of creation itself. I mean, the way the passage is laid out. Y'all remember how creation is laid out. You have Genesis 1-2. Everything's kind of chaos, remember? Remember? Uh, There, As God spoke, it is placed in. And then day one, you have light separated from darkness. Day two, you have the waters above from the waters below. Day three, the seas from the land. And then you come back day four, you have the sun, moon, and the stars. You have God filling what he created, right? So day four coincides with day one, sun, moon, and stars. Day five coincides with day two because you have the waters are below but waters above you have birds and fish created day 3 seas and from land are separated and you have animals and humans created in day 6 they coincide with these two things there's some that make the argument that these these positions here in chapter 11 coincide with the creation and what is clean and unclean in those days where God created and so there's a, a tying it back to creation itself All of those, I think, are viable arguments. I'm just not sure that one satisfies the entire. I think in the scriptures, oftentimes we can come to passages like this and say, I think it's a little bit of everything. I think he is choosing some of these animals for hygiene and health for the people. Here's what you are to eat to keep you healthy and has your, have, have good hygiene. I do think he's choosing some of these over against idol worship. So we're not going to bow down and we're not going to identify with the other nations around us that are serving and worshiping other gods. And we're going to do it by our lifestyle. And what is primary with all of our lifestyles? you got to do it every day. And quite often you do it three, some of y'all maybe four, times a day, right? Food is at the center of the life we live. Whether we want to admit it or not, we spend most of our day thinking about what we're going to eat next. And so food is at the center of this. And so if you're living in cultures and places that worship and serve other gods, we're going to be different. That's been a theme throughout Leviticus. We're gonna be set apart, we're gonna be different. I think these laws set them apart from the other nations and what they eat and their dietary restrictions. I believe that's it, I think that's it. But I also think it's for obedience sake. I think the Lord is saying to them, trust me, I'm going to provide for you All that you need, follow me. Trust me. And so it's a test of obedience in the life of the Israelites to listen to God and his his giving of his laws, if you will, for how to live and flourish in the world. And remember, God's laws are not for the oppression of his people, but for their flourishing. We spent much time talking about that in Exodus, that those laws that he gives them is for them to have the best life they can have, not to hold back something that was good. And so here, when he says this clean and unclean, it's, it's meant there for their obedience, and he's not holding back. Now, you may say to me, Josh, but he said, what about the pig? God's holding back bacon from his people. And you may say, why would he do such a thing? I don't know. Nobody knows the mind of God. I don't have any idea. I just know the glorious day when He said, All right, everything's clean again. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Saving it for us. Ultimately, I think it's a combination of all of this. I think it is about obedience. I think it is about separating, obviously, clearly, and I'll get to that in a second about separating yourself out from the other nations and what they worship. I think it is about hygiene and health. I think God's laws and commandments are good for us and for our flourishing and still to this day separate us out in a world that is against him and opposed to him. Still to this day does this. And so for us, when you come to Genesis 11, what I would tell you is we're going to try to understand this finally and completely in the sense of us. Mostly in this room. In fact, vastly mostly, except maybe a few. Gentiles, living 3,000 years later in a completely different culture and place. So what does it mean for us? Because all Scripture is God-breathed and good for us, right? And so we recognize this. We sit under the authority of God's Word. What does this mean? Turn with me over. I've got to turn. You may not have to. Verse 45. When you get to the end of those unclean versus clean, you got to remember that this also coincides in many ways, I think coincides rightly, with people. If you remember, the priests were considered holy before God. Remember, consecrated and considered holy. The Israelites were clean, remember? They were clean before God and made clean. The Gentiles were unclean. So if you're thinking of concentric circles here, these laws coincide with the people even that that we're discussing in Leviticus, the priests, the Israelites, the Gentiles. And so how is it then that this works? And I think that's what I'm getting at when we see it that way, we get to verse 45. In verse 45, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Now, I don't. I'm not saying this tongue in cheek. I, I'm not just trying to throw something out there and make it sound good. I believe chapter eleven, verse forty-five is the central theme of all of the book of Leviticus. I think it's the central theme of it all. We'll see some important features. We'll see, as we already did. sacrificial system established, the priesthood consecrated and established. We'll see some laws for different things going on in the culture and the place. We'll see the day of atonement and what that means with the scapegoat and the goat that is the propitiation for our sins. We'll see all of those passages that I think are vitally important to understanding who we are as believers today. We'll see all of that, but I think at the end of the day, this verse is the theme of the book. Let's take this apart real quick. I am the Lord. He's using the word Yahweh, right? I am the Lord. By the way, in our English Bibles, they help us with this. I think the vast majority of English translations do this now. When Lord is in all capitals, y'all see how it's in all capitals, L-O-R-D? That's referring to that name Yahweh that was given in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses. Who sent me? Yahweh, I am who I am, right? And so that's the covenant name of God. And so he's saying, I am the Lord. What did the Lord do? I'm the one who saved you, I'm the one who redeemed you. In fact, I'm the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. In Egypt, they were slaves, they were in bondage. I'm the one, I'm the Lord who saved you and redeemed you. That's who I am. God identifies himself to his people as savior and redeemer because that's what he has done. In fact, that's who he is, right? I am the Lord who saved you and brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember, that's how he started the 10 commandments. The 10 commandments don't start with, all right, if y'all want to be saved, you got to do these 10 things. The 10 commandments begin, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery, right? Now you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, I've already saved you. Now here's how you live. Here's how you live in light of my salvation. I've already redeemed you. Here's how you live in light of my redemption for you. And so ultimately, God's not asking them to do something to earn merit or favor. God is calling them to a holy life because of who he is and what he's done for them, right? Because in light of who he is and what he's done, now here's how you are to live. I've called you out of the land of Egypt. I've called you to be your God. The very heart of this whole passage we keep talking about is the fact that God saved them so he could be with them. He didn't save them so he could just say, all right, y'all are free, go as you wish. He saved them so he could dwell with them. He spent the whole second half of the book of Exodus telling them, here's how you have to live in light of my presence with you. He told them, here's what you have to build so I can dwell with you, right? Here's how the, here's the show bread and the furniture and the Ark of the Covenant. Here's all of these things you build where the Ark is in that center place of the tabernacle. The footstool of God is his throne is in heaven. He dwells with his people. I've saved you so I can be with you. I'm the Lord your God who has saved you out of of slavery and bondage to be with you. And in that, you have a microcosm, if you will, or a statement that rings true to every single one of us in here. Because he is the Lord our God who has saved us out of the bondage of slavery and sin so that he can be with us and dwell with us, not in a tabernacle made by hands, not with any kind of fancy furniture, but within our own very hearts, as the scripture says, as the spirit dwells here. And so here we're getting this picture already. I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. I've saved you. I want to be with you and dwell with you. Be holy, for I'm holy. Because of who I am, And because of what I've done for you, be holy for I'm holy. You see, the call for us to follow Jesus and the call for us obedience does not come in any manner of us trying to earn favor with God. If it would be, then we would be failing at it and can never find it. The call for us of obedience and to follow after Jesus is because of who he is, Savior and Lord, right? And what he's done, died for us in our place to redeem us. Because of who he is and what he's done, he has done dwelling with us now, we desire to live holy lives, not to earn his favor, but because of what he's done for us. That's why 1 John again says, if you say you love God and you don't keep his commandments, you are a liar. Because if you know who God is, Savior, Lord, Redeemer, you know what he's done, saved you from your sins, then it's not a burden to keep his commandments. It is your joy. It is your joy to keep them. And so here, in the midst of these laws, dietary restrictions, we get this gem of a verse, which reminds me of that's the point. That's what it's about. We're called to be different, to be transformed and to be different from those around us. And the scriptures bear this out. What I was stating earlier, I want to reiterate. I think what we have here in our passage is principle over law for us, right? If this was a law, I think the Ten Commandments still are commandments we keep. You have no other gods before me, right. We keep that still, not because it saves us, but because in light of who God is and who, what he's done. You shall honor your father and mother. Kids, you keep that, you see? You shall not lie. Keep that. We don't like hypocrites or liars, right? You shall not steal. Keep that. You keep that. Why? Because this is a law that derives itself from the very character and nature of God who has saved us and redeemed us, and we're called to be holy as he is holy. We keep those. When it comes to these dietary restrictions, I do not believe these are laws to keep, but they do embed for us principles to live by. Does that make sense? Principles to live by. What is a principle? Principle is an internal judgment. What, what are the lines we won't cross? What are the ways we live? Because that's, that's who we are and what God has done for us. What are these principles to live by? It's what we try to instill to our children. Because when you, when you try to instill laws, then it just becomes a, this legalism of trying to keep law. But when you give them principles to live by, right, now they can make their own choices in light of the principles. And hopefully, hopefully, they choose right in light of who God is an internal judgment within us of principles to live by. Why do I say that? Because Jesus himself, I believe, says that. So look with me and let's take a journey over to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. What did I say? I'm not asking to quiz you. I just forgot for some reason I'm... Mark 7, yes. Jesus is dealing with this idea of traditions and commandments, right? Mark 7, verse 14. And he called the people to him again, this is Jesus, and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing, What y'all know what that word is? Nothing. What does nothing mean? That's right. Nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. So there's nothing outside a person that by going into you can, he's speaking about food. There's nothing outside that can go in that can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled, you put food into your body and it will do its job and be expelled, right? So it's not entering into your heart, which for Jesus becomes the very seat of all of your life, your emotions, your decisions, your will, your desires, what that is. So he's saying what enters into the heart, it's the heart of a person that determines who they are, not anything they put into their body. And notice what Mark does. He gives us a little parenthetical statement because he wants it to be clear here. Jesus doesn't do the parentheses. Mark does under the inspiration of the spirit to be clear of what is being said. Thus, he declared all foods clean. Y'all see that? He's talking about Leviticus 11. That's the kosher chapter. That's the food. That's what you eat. It's not what you eat that makes you clean or unclean, Jesus is saying. It's not what you put in your body makes you clean or unclean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. Do y'all see that all of those things that come out of the heart are the breaking of the Ten Commandments? Y'all see that? I mean, he's listing them out. That's the problem, is your heart is breaking the law of God. Your heart is breaking the law of God. Out of the heart of man comes all of these things. All these evil things come from from within. They defile a person. Ultimately, the Pharisees and the Israelites do not like this at all. Come flip with me again. We're going to keep going. We can spend a lot of time on each of these. I'm trying to get to the principal part. Acts chapter 10. We've been talking about this a lot. Acts chapter 10. The issue for Peter, who is as Jewish as they come, as kosher as they come, right? The issue for Peter is this issue not of the food but of people. If you think of the priest as holy, you think of the Israelites as clean, you think of the Gentiles as unclean, right? Well, what was clear for what Jesus, uh, excuse me, what God wanted here in Leviticus 11 is he is discouraging the Israelites from eating with anybody who's unclean. Where is it that we spend most of our fellowship time? I mean, I don't have to tell y'all, this is Wednesday night. Y'all ate lasagna. You know what I'm saying? We spin around our fellowship time around food quite often. And so when you welcome someone in, you provide food for them. If you go to somebody's house and they don't provide food, they probably don't want you there. Just kidding. That's, That's not a joke. That's a joke in case y'all come over to my house and I don't give you anything to eat. But you're going to offer something, right? You, you partake, you sit around the table, you fellowship. In Leviticus 11, it's clear. We're not going to fellowship with what's unclean. We're not going to fellowship with that. And so there's that sense of which you don't, and so now Peter's in a dilemma because God in the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit calls Peter to go to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. And what does he call Peter to do when he goes to Cornelius? Eat with him. Go in and eat. And so Peter's like, wait a minute. Am I supposed to do this? I got some others with me. What am I supposed to do? And ultimately, he has a vision. The Lord gives him a vision. And y'all remember what that vision is. This, this uh, sheet comes down like a holy picnic. And all these animals were there. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He's talking about Leviticus 11. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, you do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. It's time for him to put this into action. He goes in and eats. The Lord has said, you do not call unclean what I call clean. And the meaning for that was the Lord has removed those dietary restrictions, taking down that barrier so that you can go in with the Gentiles and proclaim the gospel to them, right? Jesus says, don't get it twisted. It's not what you eat or what you do not eat that makes you righteous or holy. It's your heart. He comes back to Peter and says, do not let these laws stand in the way of you sharing the gospel with those who you formerly considered unclean, the Gentiles. Go, kill, eat. Even reptiles, which I ain't messing with them. Flip over to another place with me and when i get to the principle. First of all, y'all remember in Galatians, I, we, won't, we won't go to Galatians, we may go to Galatians. We won't go. Y'all remember Galatians, Peter, uh, Paul starts calling out Peter in Galatians. Peter was eating with the Gentiles. Then the Jews showed up and Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles and I confronted him to his face. Y'all remember how Paul does. He's confronting him. Why is that important? Because he's talking about Leviticus 11. Peter was eating with them. Then he wasn't. He was doing two different things. What are you doing? Where, Paul's calling him out for his hypocrisy over Genesis 11. I mean Leviticus 11. Which gets us to Romans 14. Romans 14, I think, for us daily living. I mean, the book of Romans is incredible. A treasure trove. Romans 8, by far my favorite chapter to read in Scripture. Uh, I I preached a series from Romans 8 one time that was just Romans 8, 15 sermons. So, I mean, where do you stop? Now there is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You can preach that three different ways, sideways, upside down and backwards. Y'all see what I'm saying? What a great place to start and it just keeps getting better as it goes all the way down and nothing separates us from the love of Jesus Christ. What an incredible chapter. We've seen this throughout and Romans 14 is also just incredible for everyday living. Paul is talking about these issues here. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables, which I underline that verse. That's a joke. For those of you watching at home, I'm joking. Kind of weak people eat vegetables. Let not the, I better say, that's a joke, okay? I'm just joking. You can eat just vegetables. Allison gets the vegetable plate at the clock and at Cracker Barrel. I still can't believe it, but she does it. Do not judge her. I think she's okay. Definitely not weak. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one shall be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats... Eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God by the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to ourself and none of us dies to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, and he might, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we will stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will get an account of himself to God. Therefore let us not pass judgment on another for any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat or do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let What you regard as good be spoken of as evil for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. This is what I'm getting at when I say Leviticus 11 under the lordship of Christ becomes a principle for us that we are to live holy lives. In in, in Leviticus, it means you watch what you eat and you don't eat what's unclean and what the Lord, but for Paul in Romans, it means this. It means you do what your conscience allows and you don't do what your conscience doesn't allow. There are things that are clear commands. Your conscience cannot allow you to murder somebody. That's sin. Your conscience cannot allow you to lie. Your conscience cannot allow you to cheat. Your conscience cannot allow you to steal. Your conscience cannot allow you to dishonor your father and mother. Those things are set as laws. But then there are things in our life that we have to work with God in the conscience that's with us, the spirit living and dwelling in us. There are things that we think, that's wrong and it's not for me and I can't do that or partake. But that doesn't mean it's a law for somebody else, right? That's what he says this eating and drinking thing is. He says, whether I eat or whether I drink, that's between me and the Lord on this. So what does that mean in principle? It means that some of you in this room may want to keep Leviticus 11 and the kosher laws. And that is perfectly fine. As long as you don't believe that that saves you. Because your problem is not the diet, it's the heart. Some of you may look at it and go, never in a million years am I going to keep the kosher law. Except that one about insects that don't hop, right? I'll keep that one. But the fact that you don't keep it, don't let you think that that's what saves you. Don't think that. Because it's a matter of the heart that saves you. Some of us may need to live holy lives and it's going to mean that we make decisions in a culture and climate and a place if we can apply it. It may mean that we don't go to certain movies. It may mean that we don't do certain things because we need to testify to this culture and to this place that we are holy and set apart for God. But if that's what it means for me, Paul is saying, you can't judge somebody else if they see it differently on those issues, right? What's sin for some? Is not sin for others in this case. My aunt, love her, God love her. She does this whole thing on a diet, right? First of all, just to let y'all know, I've never been on a diet in my life and I probably need to be on something. Here's the diet, see it, eat it, right? Do I like it? Let's have it. So I'm not judging anybody on that side. But there's some sense in which she has this diet from the Old Testament keeping these things and that's how God designed it. So that's what we should do. So she has taken that position of this is what I'm going to do. And I think that's the way the Bible works and you should be doing it too. And you know what I just tell her? Acts chapter 10. (laughs) I will eat my bacon to the glory of God. It's fine if that's the way you want to see it. And that's how you want to do it. That's what Paul is saying. That's fine. But it's not law for us. It's a principle. That what we're after is holiness, pursuing holiness in our life. And so we pursue after holiness. And for some of us, it may look a little different in how we handle some things. It may look a little different in what we do. As long as we don't make those things the legalism as if to think that they're what saves us. They're what saves us. Peter says, building off Leviticus 11, 24, Peter quotes it. And he says, the principle of it all, I believe, in 1 Peter chapter one. the principle of it all. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, verse 13, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy quoting leviticus 11:45 peter says we don't live by the passions of our flesh we're different because of what God has done for us and saved us. So we pursue after holiness. We pursue after holiness in our life. Not being conformed to this world, as Paul would say, but being transformed. Being transformed and pursuing after holiness. The principle of which, for Paul, because of who Jesus is, the righteousness that we have is not our righteousness because our heart was sinful, there's nothing within us that could ever make us righteous, right? We had to have righteousness applied to us. And so Jesus and his righteousness, this is the great exchange. Our sin was placed upon him and now his righteousness has been placed on us. And Paul says, because of who Jesus is, we are now free If the Spirit has set you free, you are free indeed, not bound by any of these things, but to live for Jesus, right? To live for Jesus. You're free to live for him in holiness. Oftentimes, I think some Christians like to claim that freedom as a reason to do certain things they want to do. But if you read Romans 14, Our freedom is not anything we claim so that we get to do some stuff we want to do. Our freedom is always what we give up so that others may know Jesus. So Paul says, as you finish reading Romans, that if you're causing a stumbling block for somebody else, don't eat it. If you're causing a stumbling block for somebody else, then eat it. Whoever's around you, we're all things to all people. That whatever we have, we're free, right? And we give up our freedom so others may know him. For the weaker brother or the weaker sister, we give up our freedom so that they may be made stronger, right? We bring them to where we are. And we recognize we don't challenge them or belittle them in their place. We disciple them and grow them to freedom that we know as well. We can't make what is a principle into a law. We have to recognize. We have to recognize that there's room for us as believers to be different on some issues. I may grow my beard back. Some of y'all think that's sin. I'm kidding. But there has to be room for us in these things to recognize God's grace and mercy in our life, what these differences are. And those freedoms we have, those freedoms we have to eat what we wish, Paul would say, I become all things to all people so I may win some of them. So I may win some of them. Our life becomes evangelistic at that point, testifying to the grace and mercy of God in Christ. Again, Leviticus and the heart of it is found there in verse 45 of chapter 11. I am the Lord who brought you out, out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. That verse, for all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, still stands for us today. Pursue holiness in how we live. Pursue holiness in how we Judge things in this world to testify to the glory of Christ and his salvation. Don't go back into bondage. Freedom, freedom that Christ has set you free from so that we can glorify him in every aspect of our life. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for Jesus again and what he's done for us. May you be glorified in all things, in every aspect of our life. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. We'll see you Sunday.